following podcast is a production of The Network. Check us out on BICBP-radio.com. What's up, everybody? I'm the Nickel City Nightmare, and this is Common Debauchery. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of Common Debauchery. I, as always, the Nightmare, Derek Jaws, joined once again, doing the thing and the stuff with my esteemed co-host, Rotten Jack, the man, the myth, the legend. Bro, it's WrestleMania weekend. Yes, it is. It is WrestleMania weekend. There is no, there is nothing more common or debaucherous than professional wrestling. Oh, absolutely. Like the shit that goes down. Like, I mean, it's a lot cleaner now than it used to be. But like, I mean, late nineties, early two thousands. Like, oh. you couldn't get much better than a bra and panties we, match. We were lucky enough to grow up in the heyday that was the attitude, the era. attitude era into the ruthless aggression era. Like Before those two combined, they went PG. Those two combined were easily the best eras of wrestling. I don't care who, like the golden era, like when you had your Hogan's and your, oh God, Macho Macho Man Man and all that stuff. Like they were great. Don't get me wrong. They were fantastic, but. uh, Nothing beats like the, uh, the golden age for me is like. The, the mid to late 90s with you so know. so there, there was actually an era called the golden age of wrestling which was like the 80s into the early 90s then the right. 90s into the early 2000s was the attitude, attitude era. era the 2000s into like 2010 to 2012 were the ruthless aggression era and then it turned into the pg era yeah uh, the pg the, era has like pretty much killed it the pg era was tough um it really was so was it still is it's so they're getting away from the pg side of it they've gotten to a little bit more interesting and risque things so they're they're yeah. not they're not doing the prawn uh, the brawn panties matches you're not just seeing like 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 back in the attitude era and into I the ruthless mean, aggression I mean, era on. like there was nothing better than seeing like stacy keebler and trish stratus go at it in a bra and panties match like so they, they've gotten away from the women are just pieces of ass and things to be masturbated to right and more toward women being legitimate athletes and competing absolutely and like and and, and that comes I mean, with and I'm not, rousey i'm, not, I'm and, not against any of that i'm just saying like it was fun to watch brawn panties match and, and like and when you're like and i will i will <laughs> i will disclaim this with the fact that when those things were going on <coughs> the two of us were in our preteen to teenage era where you know it like I'll, I'll be honest like who who was who was my favorite female growing up sable yeah why because she like she put her tits on tv Michelle every day cool oh my god oh stacy keebler yeah Oh, uh, fucking Undertaker. What a lucky man he yeah. was Michelle McCool. Yeah, Undertaker won. Yeah, like, he def- Undertaker he won He definitely life. did. So, it is WrestleMania weekend. Week or uh, Night one was last night. It is the first year that they're doing a two-night event because of COVID and so No, and I so think forth. they did two nights last year, too. But this is the first two. No, so this norm- is the first two-parter normally, with, like, fans in the stand. Normally, so they may have done a two-nighter last year. I don't recall. Um, but this is the first time that they've done, like... This where they're like splitting the card intentionally, evening the two nights out like nor because normally what happens is the Hall of Fame is Friday NXT like NXT's WrestleMania, like the NXT takeover takeover. WrestleMania is Saturday and then WrestleMania Sunday this year. 
NXT TakeOver was a two-night event. Yeah, that was well, when, Wednesday, Wednesday and Thursday. Wednesday and Thursday. Then they did the uh, the Hall of Fame ceremony, which they w- was two classes. It was last year's class and this year's class. And then this, yeah, but like, it seemed like they only they only inducted like the typical amount that they do in one year because when they were announcing them last night, right? And, uh, and, and there was and, and what that it was, was uh, JBL, uh, JBL Bulldog, Holly Molly, British Bulldog, uh, NWO. No, Holly Molly was not on it. Yes, she was. She was twenty twenty one. She was the first female inducted um, this year. Oh, maybe, maybe they. So maybe they did the 2020 inductees last that night, should have been last today, year. Yeah. So that and makes then sense. Tonight will be the 2020. Molly Holly is okay. definitely on the list. So I, I like, and I know okay. that because she they they make a point of talking about her and her uh, her influence on the, the sports entertainment yeah. world. So, uh, you know, they, they. I think that like last year the world got shut down. So quickly, they so, didn't know what to so, do. Like, and, and be, so they didn't finish out the class. So then this year, they just went, okay, we're going to just... That's what we announced last year. We'll match it this year, do one big class with a designation. Like, well, technically, last year, you know, this person was inducted, but the ceremony's in 2021. And then next year, we'll be back, be back to a little bit more normal. Well, because last night, they were announcing them as the, the Hall of Fame class of 2020. Right. So then so tonight, maybe they'll probably tonight they'll do like the class of 2021. Yes. So and like Titus O'Neil was the twenty uh, this 2020, year's uh, Warrior, Warrior Award. Award. So like yeah. there there should technically be a Warrior Award this year too. We'll see if that happens. Right. However, uh, last last night had some interesting things going on uh, with the weather issues that they had. They there was a weather delay, and you kind of saw. And I, I've read different reports on this, and you watched it. I was not able to watch last night. Um, and for those listening, this this episode gets posted on Tuesday, so this will be a little outdated as far as these go. But the there was a weather issue. There was some lightning. They had a, a delay, and they went to, like, random promos and random interviews. Oh, it was terrible. And now I've read some articles that were like, for what it was, it was really good. But I've heard. Yeah, from but they were also they were also running around with, like, chickens with their head cut off. Like, right. oh, fuck, like. We got like a thirty minute delay. Like, what the hell do we do? Like, so basically, they did no interviews the rest of the night. So all these interviews that they did were probably stuff that they had scheduled to go throughout the night. Like, well, it, so like it was before it was the either that stuff, or I, or they I've, just like quickly threw them together. I've read a lot of things that basically said it was just improv. Hey, throw this person a mic, go talk to that guy, and near the end of the weather delay, they kind of like. Got their better micro like better people on the mic yeah. out there with with the new day with Kevin Owens like the the people who are better on the microphone and it kind of saved it a little bit a little bit yeah. prior to that it was kind of a mess and part of that is because in this day and age Vince McMahon is so hell bent on having a control on everything that he struggled to do any like he struggles to let people do their own thing. Right. There, like there are no CM Punks anymore that go off script. There are no like some of the best promos you see, and you can see them all over TikTok. You can see them all over YouTube. You can see them all over social media. Like when Paul Heyman, when, like when they were doing the whole ECW one night stand thing, and you had the Raw and SmackDown rosters up in the rafters of the ballroom, and like Paul Heyman pokes his head through the thing, through the through the ropes, and looks at JBL, who is the leader of the pack, and goes, "The only reason that you were champion for a year is because Triple H doesn't want to work on Tuesdays." And like that was off script. That was not meant. That was right. that was not planned. But that's how that's how it was back then. That's how they cut promos. Now they, they just shot from the hip everything. 
They script the whole damn show. I was watching a thing the other day. It was um, we and we talked about this a little bit earlier when we were when we were cooking our brunch. Uh, it was Michaels, Triple H, and The Undertaker, and they were talking about how they planned the finish of the end of the era uh, Hell in a Cell match. And they, like, the day of, the day of WrestleMania, they went, all right, do you want to talk about this? And The Undertaker looked at Triple H and just said, let's just call it while we're out there. And it was literally the end of an era because it's probably the last time they trusted three wrestlers, a special guest referee, and two dudes in the ring to just call the match as they did it with nothing more than the ending sequence planned. Right. So, and, and, and it's interesting. So this entire episode of Comedy Debauchery is us talking about professional wrestling and, and growing up being fans. Yeah. And we're going to start with our list. We have lists. It's a list in 10. We're going to take one, take a page out of the, the two-point conversation book with a list in 10, but it's pro wrestling based, so we're going to channel our inner, our inner closed fist because I will give copious shout-outs to every podcast friend that I have. Uh, so Russ and the boys over at the Closed Fist, we're going to take a, take one out of your playbook here. We're going to do our own wrestling show on Common Debauchery, and we're going to start with our personal top 10s, greatest moves ever. And this is both finishers and signatures because there are people who very blatantly have great signature moves that are better than their finishers. And you'll come across that as we go here. So I'm going to let my man Rotten Jack go first. Best move ever, go. Oh, I thought we were gonna go count down. Okay, okay, to, all right. Count so down ten to one. All right, so let's let's do the count. No, what is what is number ten for you? Uh, ten on my moves list is uh, Jeff Hardy's Whisper in the Wind. Whisper in the Wind is a fantastic move, uh, and I have that as my number five. It arguably, I I probably could have rearranged my list a little bit. Honestly, like these, they're they're like my few are very set, um, but a lot of this list, there's some wiggle room, like could have been higher, could have been lower, stuff like that. But number 10 on my list, I have Jeff Hardy's Whisper in the Wind. Okay, so I have to ask, in your opinion, what makes up a good finisher or signature move? Like, what, like, what do you look for in, in the move itself? Uh, it's just got to be, like, cool. Like, I mean, there's there's nothing better than, like, seeing Hardy get whipped into the, the corner multiple times a match going like, all right, is he doing it now? Is he doing it now? And then he finally hits it where he runs up the turnbuckle, flips and kicks him right in the fucking head, and you're like, fuck yeah. All right. Okay. So uh, to me, a finisher to be on, on, on a top 10 list or a finisher or signature has to be one iconic. I don't know anybody else who does Whisper in the Wind. No. Um, the other side of it is I. it, it needs to be – powerful it needs to look like it could end it's got to be momentum changing so like which whisper in the wind is because yes they whip him into the corner they're running after him he runs up the turnbuckle flips and kicks him in the fucking face like and the so that'll turn the momentum the other part of it to me is like it like it's got to be believable so like the uh hulk hogan's leg drop is the worst finisher ever worst. worst finisher ever and the other part to it, and you'll see this at the top of my list, is it you have to be able to just hit it from wherever. Right. Um, and, like, so Whisper in the Wind is limited to when you can get up, uh, like, run up and use right. elevation. So, you know, and there's other ones on here for me that are need to be set up. So, like, my number 10 is the original Dirty Deeds. 
And I loved Dean Ambrose's original finisher from WWE. It was a front face lock or front head lock that he turned into a DDT. Yeah. So, like, if if you're a wrestling fan at home, picture a normal DDT hold. So, just a front face lock. Now, turn around. He's just got that front head lock in where his, like, the dude's shoulders in his back and he's got his head in his arm. And he turned that into a DDT. After you know some issues like the, some concussion questions and you know, injury issues, they looked at it and said, "Okay, we need to change this around." And they turned it into a um, like a double underhook DDT, essentially. Yeah. That he still uses to this day. So he's in AEW now and he uses it. and He calls it the paradigm shift. Um, they just changed how he did it and kept calling it Dirty Deeds in WWE. But the original Dirty Deeds, which was the front headlock into a DDT to me was just fantastic. It was just like, Oh, gotcha. Bye. And like just the sadistic look on his face. It was a great sell. I loved it. Yeah. Dirty D's was definitely uh, a good one. I didn't even think of that when I was writing my list. He had, he had the best finisher of the members of the shield in my opinion. Yeah. Well, and that includes the current curb stop. Well, no. Well, I mean, which is probably on your list. Yeah. It's, it's on my list. So my number nine, is the buzzsaw kick from Tajiri. I don't know if I know this one. Okay, so this is just a standing roundhouse to the face. So my man just, like, he would wear you down. You'd be, like, in that groggy state of just, like, kind of, like, collecting yourself and, like, picking yourself up, up, up off the mat. And as you, like, turn to look at him, my man just hits a stiff roundhouse to the side of your fucking head. And... Tajiri never got the credit he deserved for the performer that he was. He was the one that in WWE bought, brought the green mist um, it, like into mainstream Attitude Era. I know that there were people who used it prior to him, but there were like he was the one that went to that the most. Um, he used traditional like stiff looking martial arts in his craft. And it's something that, like, back then, it was just Tajiri's, like, what he did. Now you call it more, you know, the, like, the, the the Japanese strong style, as they call it. Right. And it was just this hard, stiff roundhouse that just, like, spun you around and, like, and down. It was great. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't actually, I don't know that one. I'll, so. I'll send you a video of it. All right. Uh so I'm gonna go with two here because the my next two are both uh, Seth Rollins moves. Uh, nine is a uh, Seth Rollins Falcon Arrow. The Falcon Arrow, in my opinion, should be his finisher. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and then eight is uh, the Revolution Knee or the Ripcord Knee. Yes, uh, he at one point called it, I believe, the Kingslayer Knee. Yeah, like, it's had like different it, names depending on what moniker he's running under these yes. days. It, like it was the Revolution knee, it was the Kingslayer, it was you know whatever, but it's just a ripcord knee, and that it just looks like it, like that'll just fuck you up. Like he pulls you in, jumps and knees you in the face. So uh, I said earlier that to me something that like matters in um, a finishing move is the ability to hit it out of nowhere. The reason that like the ripcord knee for me or the Kingslayer knee, whatever you want to call it, is. Probably it, it it's under number twenty, but it's not in the top ten, is because that's so easy to hit out of wrestling transition. You should just hit it every time until it finally finishes a guy. Right. It's almost too easy. Yeah. 
Um, but like you said, like Falcon Arrow should be yes his finisher. And like, like you don't even need the superplex portion of it. No. So like he like just you know hook him up, lift him up, hit the Falcon Arrow. That should be enough. Like yeah. And I I love I do love the curb stomp. Again, probably in my top twenty. But there's a very particular place that your that your opponent needs to be, and that, again, the buzzsaw kick to me, it, like same thing. You're the dude needs to be down, he needs to be groggy and standing up. But it's so powerful looking, where the curb stomp doesn't always look great. No, so no, it it, it doesn't. But it's still higher up on my list. Yes. Uh, so my number eight is a combination of Baron Corbin's deep six and the end of days. So the deep six is fantastic. Like, right. just, and so, again, and it's just like, because so, that's also on my list, we'll skip. That's uh, his combination of deep six end of days is my number one. Okay, so to me, the deep six is that like out of nowhere hit it, and like dudes running at you, you catch them, you spin it through, and essentially hit like a momentum spinning rock bottom. Yeah, which does not make my list, by the way. Um, and then the end of days, just the like, just like the momentum behind it. Like, and again, you can catch somebody out of nowhere and spin them into it. It's great. And Baron Corbin just doesn't get the credit he deserves because they just don't give him good character to work with. No, like I, I loved like hit, like when they had him doing like the lone wolf I stuff. Loved, I love the lone wolf. The thing. lone wolf stuff was great. Um, but then they they turn him into this King Corbin bullshit. Like it's a joke. Like. Cor- Corbin is so, but I mean, we could say this about a lot of wrestlers in WWE right now. Vince McMahon doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. They, they rehash a lot of old ideas. So like when like Stone Cold made his break when he won King of the Ring. And that's when Austin 316 says was born and all yeah. this other stuff. And like, you know, you know Jerry the King Lawler yeah. made it like made King it as Booker. the king. And like and King Booker was one like he was Booker T and he he needed a reinvent he really did, and then like selling like the Harlem Heat this fucking gangster from the fucking town, all of a sudden is walking around with a British accent wearing a crown and a cape and a fucking but scepter it was fucking like hilarious and, and he for some reason it, it fucking worked he sold it that's why it worked he fucking sold it and then like. You can't just throw a crown on a dude, put King in front of his name, and expect it to land. No, I don't think anybody likes the King Corbin no. moniker. Corbin like, doesn't like King joke. Corbin. Uh, but, yes, Deep Six End of Days is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so that was your number eight? That was my number eight. Okay. Uh, so my number seven is uh, just a classic backstabber or codebreaker, whatever you want to call it. Okay, so... The backstabber and the codebreaker are two different things. The backstabber is grabbing a guy from behind and pulling him back onto your knees. The codebreaker is grabbing his head and driving your his face into your knee. In the same, you do the same thing. You grab something, fall back, and drive a body part into right, your right. That's what I'm saying. Like right. Like, so same well, idea, both, different body so part. Very similar, but like that. Just that, like running up behind them, jumping on their back like a fucking monkey. And just yanking them down, back, yeah. and like, yeah, I'm on board for that. Um, I do look what well, the first time that Jericho as Y2J hit the code breaker, it was, it was a reinvent, and again, it yeah. was out of nowhere. It, like, like you're down, dudes off the top row, bang, code breaker out of nowhere. Like, and now, like it. these days, uh, I think, I think Daniel Bryan uses a backstabber. 
um, at some points. Uh, it's but more like, of a setup for him. His two finishers right. are the yes lock or the label lock right. and the running knee. But he still he still uses it. But like probably like the most um, utilized one right now would be uh, Sasha Banks. Yes, with the bank statement. Like, yeah, she, she sets hits, it up hit, with hits, the, with like a backstabber into the bank into statement. The, yeah, yeah. Uh, Carlito made the backstabber famous. Oh, is that who actually? Yeah, made? that okay. was. Or the, uh, he's the one who made it mainstream in WWE. I should say. Uh, he was the most. You know, he had one of the twisting cutters or whatever. Yeah. Like, and all of a sudden, uh, he. It was when he he made the. Uh, you know, I know it was like, or you know, I spit in the face of people who don't like to be cool. When he turned that into like full tilt Carlito heel. He turned his back on somebody to do it, and they, that's why they started calling it the backstabber because, like, that's the move he hit to turn his back on somebody, and just mainstream started calling it the backstabber as opposed to the the double knee backbreaker or whatever the hell it was right. called prior. Yeah. Uh, my number seven is the is the five star frog splash from my main man and current WWE Hall of Famer, Mister Monday Night, Rob Van Dam. Uh, listen, there are a lot of people who hit frog splashes in their career. Probably the most beloved and famous being Eddie Guerrero. But the five-star was just different, man. He got, like, the height, the extension. And, like, a lot of this to me when it comes to finishers comes to the sell. And my man, like, people sold that they got hit with the five-star, but so did RVD. RVD sold the fact that he was at full extension, almost in a U-shape on the way down that, like, fuck that hurt, but I just won the title. Right. Like, so he, and like, when you would play WWE video games, he would hit it, and, like, if that was your finisher, like, the dude, like, you'd be up on the ropes, you'd hit it, and he would, like, stand up, do the, your, your dude would hit the RVD thumb thing, and then hit the frog splash, and he would, like, roll over and, like, look at the camera and, like, hold his ribs, like, oh, son of a, and, like, yeah. crawl over and pin him, and I think it was that's, done. that's definitely a good one, because... Uh, it was one of those moves that you know that those like that, like the the frog splash or like the 450 splash or anything like that where you're landing on them on your stomach after getting that much air, like you got to be ballsy to do it because you know that's going to hurt you just as much, if not more, than the other guy. Absolutely. Uh, my number six is the Sister Abigail. Um okay. And th- this is where you start to hit the out of nowhere thing in unconventional moves. So I am a huge Bray Wyatt fan and have been my like since he came on the scene at like after he retired Husky, Husky Harris, after he retired Husky Harris and came back as Bray Wyatt and was hitting Sister Abigail like and again, it's one of those things. Sister where Abigail, ugh, Sister Abigail is kind of like the RKO, like it just fucking like. One trip up, and the, the he's just best, got you in that. The best one I ever saw him hit was Ray. He was going against Ray Mysterio before Ray left and came back again. And Ray had him on the ropes and like was was going to run and do a, a like a typical Ray Mysterio near the end of the match. Like we'll call it the John Cena style five moves at Doom, and all of a sudden like. Bray just turned around, caught him, and as, like, Ray's feet went beyond him, he just popped it into Sister Abigail, and it was over. But at the same time, it's one of those moves that, like, he dominates the end of a match, and he just catches you in it, sets you up, like, looks at the camera, has a sinister look, kiss on the forehead, like, pops into it, 
and then waits and crawls over and hits the pin. So it's that combination of like, I can hit this when I need to. And when I choose to, oh, also, and furthermore, it's dominant and looks powerful as fuck. Yeah. I love I, I'm just a like huge Bray Wyatt fan. The, I love the it. violence involved oh, in like it, it's so like hard. Sn- so hard. Just just the, the violence needed to snatch the motherfucker to put them into the position to even start the sequence is violent. And then he just like holds it there and then like just just like that. Just yep. you blink and you oh, missed it. it it's like flipping he, a switch. For being such a big guy, like he's my man moves. He, like he is not a small man. Like he is a chubby guy. But he fucking spins and like the torque that he puts on that, like is that it like looks you, you blink and you miss it. It looks violent. It looks angry, and I love it. You know, now I'm wishing I would have had Sister Abigail on my list, but I don't. They've been lying to you, man. I know. Uh, my number six is a curb stomp. I love the curb stomp. I, I do. I, listen, I love it. I I liked when Rollins went to it. I because I didn't like. To me, the Kingslayer knee wasn't enough. Right. The pedigree was is just overdone. Um, the pedigree is not on my list, I can tell you that much. Nah, man, neither. Um, that's one of those ones, like the pedigree. To, and we were talking about it today earlier with uh, with Austin. Uh, for those of you who you know listen to Hats, Tats, and Tats, he's listening to the stat man. He was a big Shawn Michaels, Triple H fan as, uh, as I was. But the pedigree to me... You know, people, it's called the pedigree because of his original gimmick, his OG gimmick. Yeah. And some of like, it was, it's a nasty move. It's a, it's a nasty, violent looking finisher, but like you got to kick the dude in the stomach and then put his knees or his head between your knees and then hook his arms and then jump up and drive his head. And like, at some point, if you're even remotely still conscious, you can spin out of it, or you can get out of it. You can right. hold off on it, like let him not hit it so like hard. Some like, some some of these finishers just, it, that are in today, like it loses believability to me. Like last night, Bobby Lashley's the, the uh, hurt locker, the hurt lock, or, hurt or whatever. Lock, yeah. Like it's a full Nelson. Guess what? Oh great! Like wow, I'm not gonna pass out because you have my hands above my head. Like so. Locking in a full Nelson, there's a reason a full Nelson is illegal in certain like submission style or like point style wrestling. What you see, like when Chris Masters did the master lock, and now it's you know Bobby Lashley does the hurt lock. Like, like it just it's looks, it's, it's, it's so meant f- to show dominance. It's meant to show like I'm just better and above and beyond you. But it's just one of those things that like, I don't buy it. They don't do it the right way because, like, they don't lock it in tight. What, like, it, that's one of those things. It, like, to me, that's like the STFU for Cena. Yeah. Like, he doesn't lock it in the right way to make it believable. But if you locked it in the right way, there's no selling. Like, right. he, like that gets locked. You tap, no questions asked. There's no four minute build. No the tap. But like, I, I see like Bobby Lashley do it because he, he tapped out. Uh, well, he didn't even tap out Drew McIntyre last night. Yeah, he, he passed out. Passed out Drew McIntyre. But I'm like, I'm watching it. I'm like, okay, Drew, how about you just like jump and like drop down onto your ass and fling him over your head? And so, like, it, like I, uh, I, found, I Taz, thought of, Taz used to use the half Nelson German suplex where it was half of that. So, like, hand up under the arm right. behind the head. Pop the hips into a, a basically a belly to back suplex, um, and other people in in the past have used like a full Nelson slam, 
both of which would be more believable for me. Like, right. But you feel just, him start to start to fade and you pump it into a slam and a pin. I'm in. Right. But you don't lock a full Nelson tight enough for me to believe that a dude passed out from it because no. he wouldn't fight you for four for four minutes. No. He would tap after two and a half or it would be done. Yeah. Uh, what's your number? Uh, actually, so we already did my number six. My number six was uh, Sister Abigail. My number five, Shooting Star. Oh, Shooting, shooting Star, Star Press. Press. Yes. Uh, made famous mostly by Billy Kidman and then taken over by Evan Bourne who hit it far better than Billy. Like, Billy Kidman had this cool, like, fuck it look about his shooting star. Evan Bourne, my man got air. Yes. Oh, yes, my God. he did. And he was also responsible for one of the dirtiest looking RKOs ever. I mean, Randy Orton, the king of the RKO. The king of the but, RKO. like, I know exactly which yeah. Evan Bourne RKO you're talking about, and it put... Randy Orton's best RKO to shame. Yeah. So uh, the shooting star press, just the standing backflip off the top rope. Just, again, the ability to beat the dude down, get up on the corner, and then, like, it's one thing, like, the moonsault, you're facing the right. other way and just doing a backflip. Like, it's the even four, more the 450, whatever. It's even more impressive when you hit a standing shooting star press yes. from the mat. Bianca yes. Belair hit one on Sasha Banks last night, and it was impressive. Uh, that is, uh, what's his name? Him and Big E are fighting tonight. Oh, uh, Apollo Crews hits one. Yeah. It's fucking like, and again, then you put it off the top rope. It looks even better. Yes. So you're number five. My number five is the GTS. Uh, the GTS I do like. I was a bigger fan, like CM Punk wise, of the Anaconda, like the Uranagi into Anaconda Vice. That was nice. I just like the violence yes. and just the nastiness of putting him over your shoulders, popping him up enough to clear him over your head, dropping him down the front of you, and kneeing him right in the fucking mouth. Yeah. Like. There's no way that if that actually happened, if oh, you were my God. actually, you, you'd be you'd out for a week. Someone. You'd be out for a week. Like that's, and, that, and that's coming from somebody with an MMA, like legitimate amateur MMA background. Like, right. If you were to throw somebody up over your head and as they came down with all of their force, you drove a knee to their face. With they all would of wake your, up yeah. next week in a coma. Like, right. They, they would wake up and be like, uh... And what with, did I miss? With like their entire jaw broken, nose yeah, missing so most like, of their what, teeth. What did I miss? Yeah, their jaw. Be, they'd be drinking steaks through a straw. New phone. Who just? <laughs> All right. Uh, number four. My number four. Uh, it's kind of a big one. Uh, pretty much anything the Undertaker does. You know, I want to go. I I struggled with this man. I, I want to go. Struggled with my man. Old school pile driver. Gates of hell. Uh, so. I, I, the Gates of Hell was probably my least favorite Undertaker finisher. It's my least favorite one now, that li, he so does. It's, but I, I, I don't disagree that you hit a certain point in your career that a submission-style finisher is necessary. I get that. I support it. I'm on board. The problem is where he hit the Hell's Gate from, and if you look it up, it's actually like the, uh, I believe it's called a Gagala Plata. In MMA, exactly and like it, it takes extreme flexibility, and it's something that like you have to work hard to get into. It's not just a thing where like 
I grabbed his arm and put my like they worked it professional wrestling into it where right. he could just do it. Where in an actual fight, it's nowhere near that easy. And no, that, that bothered me. I think I think my, my the reason that I like it is the first time I ever saw him do it. Um, I I can't remember who he was fighting, but they must have put like blood capsules yeah. in the guy's um, mouth. And he put him in the gates of hell. I think that was Lesnar. And then all of a sudden, like, just blood is just pouring out of the guy's mouth. Yeah, they made it look nasty. Fuck, like, that is nasty. Uh, So there's only one Undertaker finisher on my top 10, and I think 11 and 12 would be the last ride and his choke slam when he came out as the American badass. Yeah. Um, Because he, like, he hit it better than anybody had prior to him. Like, Kane was close. But when he came out as the American badass on the bike and the trench coat and everything, like it was literally choke, arm over my shoulder, and one hand up and throw a dude down. Yeah. Um, Kane came close, but like, you know, the big show slash the giant, if that, whatever you want to call him, would like hold the guy's hip and like fall with him. Like, no, The Undertaker threw you down with malice and ill intent, which puts them at, like, again, like, like I don't have a power bomb on my top 10. Um, I would probably put the last ride at number 11 and the choke slam at 12. And then I'd probably put the Batista bomb at 13. But like the last ride to me was just badass. Jack, the jackknife is in there somewhere, but like just, I'm going to lift you up and I'm going to like lift you even higher and throw you to the ground. Right. Where like the jackhammer was like, I'm going to like use your momentum and just let you go. Um, yeah, whatever. The, the Batista bomb, like the sit out part portion of it was awesome. And like there were a few that he hit. You realize like, oh, but we'll get to the tombstone simply because of the iconicness of it. Number four for me is the F5, sheerly based on the violence and ill intent that Brock Lesnar has in every yeah. move he ever does. Like the F5 just did it for me. Like the first time he hit it, I was like, he might have killed a man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not a huge Brock Lesnar fan, but I will admit the F5 is a nasty fucking move. And now, if you watch Brock Lesnar when he was younger, like when he was 21, 22 years old, just coming into the WWE, he like he hit the F5 where he would throw your legs up over his head to be straight up in the air, and then he'd fall with you and bring you down almost into like what the end of days looks like. Yeah. And as he got bigger and better and better, it just became, I'm going to throw you. Yeah. There was no like extra control. I was going to spin you and throw you and however you land, wherever you land, that's. And as you're hitting the ground, I'm popping up, rolling my shoulders, flexing my traps and laughing at you because I'm Brock fucking Lesnar and I'm a goddamn spoiler. Like, and it was awesome. Uh, My number three uh, is more of kind of just like, it's not really a great move. It's just a funny move that I absolutely loved seeing. Mr. Sacco. I was hoping you were dropping the Cobra on me from. uh... No, (laughs) Mr. Sacco. Yeah, the Mandible Claw was good. Um, I, I, I struggled with it. Solely based on the fact that, like, if you put your fingers in my mouth, I'm just going to bite you. Right. Like, there's a built-in, a, a built-in reversal there. Right. But, but like, I, like, like man, it was just, mankind it was made seeing that. Mr. Sacco come out. Like, yeah. 
and, and like there there are different people that have used like the iron claw and yeah. similar moves that like you'd be like I'm just gonna like take a step back and get out of your grip. I'm gonna bite down and get your fingers out of my mouth. But like the the character made it. Right. And I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, what's your number three? Uh, my number three is the tombstone because a it's iconic. B it is violent as all hell. It can be made more violent than it looks normally by ex- extenuate like like exacerbating the jump into it. Yeah. Um. And later in his career, when people like kicked out of multiple finishers and like the false finishes became a huge thing, like specifically against like Shawn Michaels and Triple H and stuff, it became a fuck you exclamation point on matches. Like it became like a, oh, okay, here we go. Right. Like type thing. And it just, you don't like the tombstone. If it was any easier to set up would be easily number one. And you'll see by my number one and my number two, what I mean by that, just the iconicness of the art or uh, of the tombstone, like just just how you see somebody hooked it, like other people have tried to steal it. Uh, Kane used it for a hot minute, but it just never really hit the same way. And the Undertaker could go from like, I'm gonna pick you up and just fall to my knees, and it's over. To go fuck yourself, I'm gonna jump, go to my knees, and you're gonna fucking bounce. And fall, uh, like yeah. fucking unbelievable. What do you got? All right, give me your two and one. Uh, number two is the RKO. Mine too. S- solely based on the whole, uh, like the, literally the places out of nowhere. that he has hit that from, like reversing a stomp by a curb stomp by standing up. I was catching. literally about to say that. It's yep. probably one of my favorite RKOs that I've ever seen him do. Was Seth Rollins went for the curb stomp. But instead of getting stomped down, he got Orton popped up. up, flung Seth Rollins like an extra 10 feet in the air, caught him on the way down into an RKO. And, and pinned him, won the match. And then later that night, Rollins won the title from Reigns and Lesnar. Yeah, he came in and cashed in his money in the bank and won. But just... The amount of places, like out of like, you see a dude cutting a promo RKO. Like, yeah. there's there's an entire YouTube video like dedicated RKOs to, out of nowhere. Now, there's one dedicated to him and his family hitting it on each other for funsies at their house. Yeah, because it's so easy just to do the thing. Like, yeah. Uh, so we already talked about number my number one because my number one was further down your list, but it was the the deep six end of days. Yep. Uh, just it's just a great move. Yeah. Like the deep six just looks nasty and the end of days just because like the the momentum shift that happens. Yeah. And like the momentum is what makes that move so violent because the faster they run at you, the harder, the harder they're that gonna hits. hit. Absolutely. My number one is probably the first ever out of nowhere finisher and the most iconic finisher to boot and that, that is sweet chin music and when we start talking later about our top five all-time moments you're gonna see a lot of that mixed in there uh, the sweet chin music was just again from the dominant I I two two moments that involve from, well, sweet from, chin like, music from, from, from the dominant fives. setup of like going to the corner and tuning up the band and hitting it to end a match to just again, Popping it out of nowhere. Shelton Benjamin off the top rope, going coast to coast, and 
looking like he gets his head taken right. off. Rey Mysterio did the same thing. People off the top rope doing flips and, and just getting hit with Sweet Chin Music, and it's over. Sweet Chin Music, in my opinion, it like nothing. The RKO is single A ball of the Major League Baseball of Sweet Chin Music, and everything else is like independent league. Yeah. Like Sweet Chin Music to me is just in, in, on a level of its own. I don't. And being, I, honestly, I don't think. Well, I think the only person that can hit a super kick in the same fat not as no no one will ever have a super kick better than HBK. Let's just be completely honest. He 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 owns that move. Yes. That 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 is his. I think the only one that comes even close to replicating like the veracity and just making it look that good would be Dolph Ziggler. Dolph Ziggler is one of the most underrated wrestlers of all time. Yes, a hundred percent. Um, yeah. So and we're gonna, we're gonna we're gonna dovetail that right into our top ten wrestlers of all time, and I will tell you solely based on performance, longevity, uh, return from injury, and so on and so forth. My number ten is Triple H. Yeah, I mean that's he didn't make my list, but he's probably just outside my list. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a good place to start with yeah. like a number 10. Uh, I mean, God, he's been since early nineties. Yeah. Come, comes in as Hunter Hearst Helmsley, this yeah. prissy, like Northeastern Ivy Hosh, league. Yeah. And again, that's, that's why his finisher is called the pedigree. pedigree. He created it himself. He's the only one that's ever done it until South Rollins started doing it. And it's called the pedigree because his heart, entire claim to fame was his pedigree made him better than you where he was who he was and where he was from made him above you yeah that's where the pedigree comes from uh my number 10 uh just real quick easy simple no one can really be upset about this hulk hogan hulk hogan doesn't make my list for a few different reasons um hulk hogan was one of the most boring wrestlers on the planet in my opinion like the the hulking yeah. up thing was fantastic. He was he was the epitome of the golden era. Um, the NWO heel turn was fantastic. He probably saved WCW a long time before they they knew they needed to be saved. But as far as an overall wrestler, he just doesn't did, didn't do it for me. And I was a fan. I was a WCW fan more than I was a WWE fan back in those days in, yeah. in the Attitude Era, the Monday Night Wars. But but like as far as like a top ten. You have to give him credit for what he did, but and I, think, I don't. I think give that's him... why I put him at ten. Yeah, and like that's why he like he barely made my list. There was probably a few other people that I could have thrown in at number ten, and we could have a better discussion about. But I, I think like just because he is wrestling, yeah, like he he just he he made the cut for my number ten. Uh, number nine. Oh, yeah. What you going to do when the Macho Man lands on you? Macho Man for me is just outside my top 10. Um, I loved him. I still I love him to love this day. I fucking love Macho Man. I, I love going back and watching his, you know, ooh, Minji, the cream rises to the top. Like yeah. I love it. I do. I love just it. Like the, like, I, I mean, you hang out with me enough. You know that I do the Macho Man voice. Way more than I fucking should. Oh yeah, 
like just out of nowhere, like I'll just be saying something and I'll just break into like I'll just say it like Macho Man would. Absolutely. Like that. Like so. Like he's just he's on my list. I probably have more current people on here than I should. Uh, I think those are those are honestly the only two, uh, like very old, like not even really involved in wrestling at all anymore. My my number nine is Le Champion, Chris Jericho. Yes. Like, the fact that the man just gets... He's like fine wine, man. He gets better with age. Yes. I've seen some recent stuff where he is botched central, but until the last, like, year, that dude just gets better with... Every time he came back to WWE, he got better. And he, he, he was a dude that He could, reinvented himself every time he came back. I mean, the man made the word it popular. He, he You made, just made the list! Thank you. One of my favorite gimmicks that he ever did. They came to Buffalo. He put everybody and their brother on the list. I loved it. The list was fucking great. And the only move he ever changed, the only thing he ever added to his repertoire of, like, you know, the, the moves, like the Jericho moveset, he kept the lion salt. He kept the, like, he changed the name to the walls of Jericho, Jericho. from the lion tamer. But, like... He kept the lion salt. He kept the lion tamer slash walls of Jericho. The only thing he added was, a was the code breaker. Or a code breaker, yeah. Like, but I mean, his, his you know, his uh, his feud with Shawn Michaels at one point was unbelievable. And like, they were both quote unquote past their prime at the time. Yeah. Who you got at nine? Uh, well, no, nine was oh, Macho nine was Man. Macho Man. Who's got at eight? Uh, Alexa Bliss. Good call. I'm I'm going to throw out there that I do not have a female in my top ten. I have um, one, three. I have three, and and that's just because like they're they're just now coming into the conversation of best all time, and one of them to me when when Ronda Rousey leaves your division and she was a wrestler for what eight months before she walked yeah. away again like. That to me puts you behind the eight ball, in my opinion. Right. But, I just but I went, like, see. I like, went, Listen, Be- Becky Lynch deserves to be in this conversation. Um, we'll get there. Ronda Ronda does does deserve to be in the conversation to an extent. Charlotte deserves to be in the conversation. Like there are definitely people who deserve to be in that conversation. Um, I, I think I, I don't. I just, think I just went with like my my top ten favorite wrestlers that I like to watch right. perform, not necessarily like who I think is absolutely like the top 10 best wrestlers out there. Just the, the top 10 that I personally enjoy seeing in the ring. Uh, My number eight is Bray Wyatt to go from Husky Harris, this like weird, like country bumpkin Chubsky to Bray Wyatt, like the the cult leader, Bray Wyatt, the leader of the Wyatt family, Mr. Follow the Buzzards. We talked about him earlier. And now, now he's like the stuff he's doing with the fiend. You cannot like, Oh, and he has the legacy of being the son of IRS. Yeah. Like it's tough to argue with who you got seven. Uh, Mr. Monday night, Rob Van Dam, RVD, to go from ECW this is, this is really funny. extremist um, and that whole thing to Mr. Monday Night and dominating and like and to do it high the whole time. The whole time the dude was baked off his fucking oh, gourd yeah. and put on some of the best matches. And like in his Hall of Fame induction speech, he he gave credit to guys like Sabu, who literally I mean, the dude had gashes, like four inch deep gashes in his back muscles. And put on matches that you would not believe in today's day and age. Yeah. Like, RVD deserves to be in this conversation. Yes. So, you have Mr. Monday Night, 
as your number seven, I have the Monday Night Messiah, Seth love Rollins. It. I love it. Rollins hasn't done enough to be in my top ten yet. He's very, very he's he's top twenty. He's not top ten yet. I just I don't know. Like I've liked him ever since the Shield days. Uh, I loved the Shield, and if we were to do one of like a top ten factions of all time, the Shield's probably in my top five. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just I like I like Rollins. I like the way. Uh, I don't necessarily like. I don't like the his, Monday Night Messiah. Yeah, I don't. I, I loved don't, the Kingslayer yeah. thing. I loved like the Monday but, Night Messiah. But, the stuff he's doing currently, I can take it or leave it. But like the stuff he's done in the past, like here's the scoop, just, and I'm going to tell you, like the the key, like the the nod to a great heel is hating seeing them on TV. Right, and I so. think that's why I actually like him. Uh, six for me, The Rock. It, the Rock is very blatantly number eleven in my book. Like I love The Rock. I am a huge Rock fan. I'm a huge Dwayne Johnson fan. Um, I think a like I think his charisma and his abilities on the mic gave him a higher status than he ever should have probably had. Right, his that, athleticism was, just... was impeccable. But like that man, people people give was and, and just a master on the mic. There was not a promo that that man couldn't cut. couldn't cut. He ended careers and like pushes. Yes, based on my his mic skills. My biggest issue with him is he did a lot of the same things that a lot of people like disparage somebody like John Cena for, like having like again the five moves of Doom. The Rock had those. Yeah. And they never changed. They never got better. He never evolved. He just, oh, I'm going to change the arm I do the people's elbow with and call it the corporate elbow, which is, right. again, almost as bad as, as Hogan's leg, leg drop. drop. Yeah. But he sold it. He sold the whole move. So that, And that's why he's not in my top ten. My number six is the king of cells, the king of making other people look amazing. The man, the show-off, Dolph Ziggler. Yeah. Because that dude deserves to be well above his current station. Yes. And he, like, that man, first I, off. I the, do, honestly. One of the winningest records in NCAA wrestling history. And he can make, he could make me throwing a right hand look like the fist of fucking God. Right. With his selling ability. Like, I mean, there, there comes a time for, like, selling and then those that, way oversell i think he just hits that threshold of if he goes any further he is on sean michaels going level to be, of selling like if he goes any further he's going to be overselling it way too fucking much and no one's gonna believe it but he hits he he walks up to that line and man like he can make you know stomping on your toe look like you just took his whole leg off yeah and, and, and again he is on like Shawn Michaels levels of selling. And I can tell you that because Shawn Michaels had a match against Hulk Hogan that Hogan refused to lose, saying someone like me would never lose to someone like him in the real world. So Shawn legitimately oversold the whole match. Yeah. So like when you watch Shawn's normal sells, you're like, oh shit. And Dolph's on that level. Yeah. Uh, five for me, Becky Lynch. I appreciate the shit out of that. 
Uh, I love Becky Lynch. Becky Lynch is probably my favorite female wrestler. Like, I can't I, wait for her to come back tomorrow night because she's going to. Yeah, I mean Monday, Monday Raw after WrestleMania is when you see like the big, the huge big returns. Um, but yeah, if Becky Lynch isn't coming back tomorrow night, which I mean it's she, been like she is. it's been three or four months there, since there, they had the kid. There there have been like videos of her working out, her yeah. running the ropes, whatever. My number five is Booker T. Okay. Uh, going from the Harlem Heat to King, like to 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 Booker, you know, can you dig it, sucker? And like, like his mic work, and then selling the whole King Booker thing in the Brit, like King just, just to to be the the dude that went from one company to the other and the like changing brands. They yes. went, all right, dude, you're yeah. good enough to win a title too. Uh, four for me. God, I hope this turns out true. My future wife. Liv Morgan. Uh, my buddy Joey would fucking quite fight you on that one. Uh, I will fucking whoop his ass because Liv I, Morgan. Liv, Liv, oh, Liv, God. Liv is not in, like, if we're going like top 10 in, on ability, Liv's not there for me. On ability, no. On, but like, on, I'm watching the TV screen. Sure. When I'm I see in. her in the ring. Uh, number four for me is the all time, probably one of the goats, probably the goat, Ric Flair. Yeah, uh, styling, profiling, wheeling, dealing, jet flying, limousine riding, just Ric Flair. Yeah. How, how do you not have him on your list? Uh, I actually don't. I know you don't. I know. I. Who's your I number three? Uh, Stone Cold. Stone Cold number twelve for me. Really? It was tough. It was really, really tough. And when you see my top three, and without much argument on my top seven prior, Stone Cold was great. But Stone Cold did not have a storyline if Vince McMahon wasn't involved, and that's why he's not in my top ten. Yeah, I can, I can, I can appreciate your perspective, but you're wrong. That's fair. Okay, uh, what's your three? John Cena. See, I no, he didn't even make my top twenty. Oh, John, listen, John Cena went I've from never being liked a John white Cena. rapper from Boston and wearing throwback jerseys and battle rapping people. He was a Marky Mark wannabe when he started, right? And he was fantastic with it. And then he changed his character to be basically a better, more athletic, better wrestling version of Hulk Hogan. Oh, and then when Hulk Hogan needed to reinvent his character to be a heel to stay relevant, John Cena went, nah, brah, I'm good, and kept going and was even better. Uh, all right, who's your two? The Undertaker. Okay. See, Undertaker again. One just—I don't know—didn't make my list. The Undertaker very quietly carried the WWE through the darkest ages of WWE. Yes, yes, he did, and kept them relevant during the Monday Night Wars when they were losing. If it wasn't for the Undertaker, that we would be—we would still be watching WCW instead of WWE. Uh, two for me, Jeff Hardy. The Hardys are top twenty for me. I—I I don't know, Both of like. Them. When I when I really got into wrestling, you know, I watched it as a little kid, but like I never really, really got into it until I was probably like 13, 14, 15. And uh, like, I don't know, just the shit, the crazy shit that Jeff and Matt used to do with, you know, yeah. they the, are the, the, the masters the of the TLC. Off, yeah, absolutely. With the you Dudley know, Boys, with Edge and Christian. Yeah. You know, like Edge is another one who's near the top 10. Yeah. I hope he wins tonight. I really, I do. really do. I, I think that with him having come back at the Royal Rumble, 
Not this past year. La- lasting last from number year, one. Lasting from number one. And then, like, I think he probably should have had the title push last year, but he got injured and he was out and yep. he's only been back for a few months. It would be irresponsible and stupid of them not to give him the title tonight. I agree. Uh, Who, who's number one? CM Punk. I am upset with myself that Punk's not on my list. Shawn Michaels. I And I can appreciate your Shawn Michaels, but, like, I don't know, like CM Punk was like, I hated him so much for so long. And then like a flip, a switch just flipped in my head. And I was like, see, no, like I hate him so much. I actually fucking love him. CM Punk is like, he didn't have the longevity for me. Michaels went from being the whole damn show to having to retire because of injury to coming back and doing it again and doing it as he puts it. The right way, yeah. So, like, that's where that hits for me. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna go quick through our top five moments of all time. Um, we're gonna start with number five. We're running out of time here. So, for number five for me is the end of the era, end of an era match. Um, it was Triple H versus the Undertaker in a Hell in a Cell at WrestleMania with Shawn Michaels as a special guest referee. End of an era and. Like I, this didn't make my list until I watched the video the other day of them talking about it. Those three wrestlers talking about it, yeah, and just appreciating what they did by literally just talking about how the fight's going to end and then calling the rest of the match in the ring on the biggest stage of them all. That is literally like saying, "Listen, we're going to script our last drive if we're down a score in the Super Bowl, and the rest we're just kind of kind of wing when we get there." Yeah. And these dudes pulled it off, and like it was great. And you would like, never know. It was it's such a fantastic like, match. Oh my god! The don't, shit that they did to each other, the, the false finishes, like and, and you know, again at the time the streak was still alive. So when you saw yeah. Undertaker pick Triple H up and get hit with Sweet Chin Music into a pedigree, and like one, two, and like they were talking about the fact that like you know Triple H kicked out and had no idea of the cell job that Michaels did at the like at that moment. Yeah, and like. You know, like they talked about the fact that like when when the Undertaker was picking up Triple H and like Triple H like gave him the like the DX suck it thing and the Undertaker picked him up and Michaels turned his back on them because he could not watch like like they had no idea like that wasn't scripted. He did like that wasn't talked about. He just did it. I cannot watch my best friend take a tombstone to end it. Yeah. Like and they, they talked about like like listen. It was awesome. And then I watched it, and it was even better. Yeah. Like, when the dudes who did it thought it was better watching it than living it, like, that is absolutely top five. Yeah. Uh, my five, Montreal Screwjob. Yeah, God, yeah. Uh, four for me. Uh, I mean, because we really don't got to talk about Montreal Screwjob. No. If, everybody, if, if you every, don't know, you're not a wrestling fan. No. Like, that's just five for me. Four, uh Taker versus Mankind, Hell in a Cell. Oh, my God. That was so good. I remember watching it live, and I'm like, I just watched somebody get murdered. Yes, absolutely. I thought Mankind was fucking dead. I'm pretty sure everybody watching and everyone that was in the, the whole arena. world thought that I died, think dude Vince died. McMahon in the back was like, and then holy he, fuck, And then he he's rode dead. the gurney down to the ring on the ramp. That was awesome. Yeah. Uh, what's your four? Hogan's heel turn. Yes. I remember watching it live. I like we had the cheater box. We were watching it. And like, oh my God, who's the third member? Who's the third member? And you're watching like Hogan's uh Hogan, Luger, and DDP or Hogan, Macho Man and DDP, whatever it was. And all of a sudden, like, 
Hogan turns and you're like, but, but my hero. Yeah. Like my childhood hero. Nobody ever would have fucking saw that coming. Nobody saw it coming. But it was so perfect because of that. Uh, three for me. Uh, this is more of a, an emotional one. Uh, Ric Flair's retirement match against Shawn that's, Michaels. That's my number one. That, I'm sorry, I love you is absolutely yeah, my Yeah, like whenever one. I see that clip, it doesn't matter how many times I watch it. It was like 10 years ago. Yep. I tear up. Could be, because, uh, like, again, that is... Because Ric Flair, is, he's just he's just on his knees. I, he stumbles to his feet. He's like, come on, come on, come on. And, you know, and Michael's like, is tuning up the band. And he just goes, you know, I'm sorry, I love you. Done. And then, like, hu- like rolls over. Hugs him and then walks out of the ring upset about winning. Yeah, and like and to set the tone for that, and we're running out of time here, so I'm going to try to make this quick. Vince McMahon told Ric Flair the the next match you lose, you're done. Like you lose again, you're out. And he went on a winning streak for a like the better part of a year. Yeah, and then he he handpicked Shawn Michaels and Michaels told him no. And then he basically told him like, you want me to take old yeller outside, out back the woodshed and put a bullet in him. And it turned a friendship and a mentorship into an angry, fiery feud. Yeah. And there were two different times in that match that Michaels could not pull the trigger on some chin music. Yeah. And he was tuning up the band and he stopped again. And Flair went, come on, come on, bring it. And, I'm sorry. Like Flair, Flair I knew, love you. Flair Boom. knew he was done. He, he knew this was his last match. He didn't want anybody else to do it. Yep. You know, you, you got to handpick the dude that sent you off. And yeah, that is why it's number one. My number three is the warrior is the, 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 the last words of the ultimate warrior. <sighs> yeah. And so to set the tone here, the ultimate warrior was on the outs of the WWE and for, for years he, he had issues with McMahon. He had issues with WWE as a whole. And he like, it was a long time coming. He finally, finally got to sit back and get inducted in the hall of fame. He finally got his last, like the, like the, the nod. And then he came to the ring on Monday Night Raw and he said, and I quote, every man's heart one day beats its final beat. Their lungs breathe their final breath. And if what that man did makes the blood pulse through the body of others and makes them bleed for something that is larger than life, then his spirit will be immortalized by the storytellers. And he died that night. The next morning he passed out and died walking out of the hotel in front of his wife and kids. Yeah, that... That's, you you, that you sticks can't with me. script that. Like when I when I saw that news that morning, I was like, I just saw him on TV last night. I'm like, there's no fucking way. I'm like, this is a joke. This is a hoax. Like, the, the, like, and, and then and the like, passion and the fire that he spoke with. You're like, no way. No, no, nah. no. Nah. Yep, dude, just fucking died. Yeah. Uh, two for me. Uh, CM Pike's pump pipe bomb. Oh, uh, the the pipe bomb is number six. I had a hard time not putting that as this, but the pipe bomb is number six. Uh, and then uh, what? All right, did you do? I, we we did my number one, so do your number one. I'll I'll do my number uh, two to finish it. My my number one, Austin three sixteen. Absolutely, the birth of Austin three sixteen was fantastic, um, and and it set the tone for winning the Monday Night Wars. Like just yeah. everything Stone Cold did was gold, and yeah, uh, my number two is the retirement of Shawn Michaels, and and the reason this ties in is because Michaels. 
they, they did Michaels Undertaker one, and it may have been the best match ever wrestled. Bar none, it may have been the best match ever put on. I watched it live. It was a five-star fucking match, and it was literally a match that you walked away from, go like just in awe. And then he called Undertaker out again. Like it was at a, it was at the Slammy Awards. I remember it, and they, like they won match of the year, and it wasn't close. Like if if you if you put up the other like other nominees that year, you were like, really oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> and then during his acceptance speech, because the because Taker was a part time superstar at the time, and Michaels was in the middle of a DX run where Triple H had just gotten hurt. Yeah, and he basically said like, no, f this, I can beat him. I can beat him at WrestleMania. I can like, and he went for like three months challenging Undertaker. He with cost no the, response. He cost the Undertaker the title. It was Undertaker's last title run in a Hell in a Cell. He broke into Hell in a Cell, sweet chin music, the shit out of Undertaker, and cost him the belt. And said, "Punish me then." Yeah, come get me. I'll see you at WrestleMania. And the Undertaker said, "Okay, but if I win, you're done." And they put on a match just as good as the year before. Yeah. And Michaels lost. And the Undertaker picked, like, after everything was said and done, the, like, and the Undertaker did the whole, like, knee down, like, eyes rolled back, tongue out, like, hand up thing. Undertaker picked him up, shook his hand, hugged him, and walked out of the ring. And Michaels gave his, you know, cheers to the crowd, yeah. the little coup de gras, and see you later, and walked off into the sunset. Quick little honorable mention, probably my number six would be when uh, Undertaker buried uh, Paul Bearer alive in the cement. Yep. Like, that's iconic. Yeah. Like, And I'm, I'm not going to lie to you, we're an hour and five in. Without without the intro right now, without the network bumper, without the comment about your intro and everything. So we're going to wrap this up. But we will do another one of these with yes. the most cringeworthy and worst yes. lists ever. And we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll save Biggest that for another botches. time. Uh, but thank you guys for tuning in. This has been a fantastic and fun. Obviously, very something we're very passionate about and you know big fans of from our childhood. Uh, episode of Common Debauchery. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, as always, check out www.bicbp-radio.com for the BICBP Radio Network, which we are part of. Tune in, subscribe, like us, follow us, find us on social media. Just uh, Google Common Debauchery or just go in the search bar on Facebook, Common Debauchery, and like the page. Go from there, and you can find us both on social media i am on facebook twitter and instagram my man is on facebook and instagram all the links are below in the summary and we'll look forward to talking to you guys and you know you guys checking our stuff out thanks for tuning in we'll see you next time